Um, I hope you all are having a fantastic Christmas season. Uh, I know that it's kind of a busy Christmas season uh, right about now. I know that usually this time of December, things tend to get a little bit crazy, uh, you know, since we're just a couple weeks away from the big day. Um, I, I got to experience that firsthand a little bit this week. Uh, my wife and I, we've been a little bit sick the last couple of weeks, uh, but yesterday uh, we decided to sort of come out of hiding a little bit and go check out what the stores are like. And um, now that I've had about 24 hours to recover from that experience, uh, all I'm going to say is this. Uh, for, for all of you who are organized Christmas shoppers who had all of your gifts bought and wrapped by February and you're just kicking back watching Miracle on 34th Street by your fireplace while all your friends are out risking life and limb for Black Friday. If that is you, first of all, congratulations to you uh, because you are way more organized than I am. Uh, but uh, for all of you who are like me and you're last minute shoppers, now that I've seen what the stores are like, all I have to say is good luck and may God be with you because it is a jungle out there. I mean, it is absolutely crazy. But Here's the thing, it's a good kind of crazy though, right? I mean, I was just thinking about this this week. You know, the reason why everything is so busy right now and there's so much going on, the reason is this. Do you realize that over a billion people worldwide right now are getting prepared to celebrate Jesus? I just think that's fantastic. I think that's amazing. And, you know, one thing that I think is especially exciting is that there are millions of people out there who are going to celebrate Christmas this month who may not even have a relationship with God yet. Or maybe they've never even set foot in church before, but whether they think about this or not, they're taking time out of their schedule this December to celebrate the coming of Jesus Christ into our world. Did you know that in the United States, more than 85% of non-Christians celebrate Christmas? I just, I just think that's fantastic. And, and what, that, what, what that tells me is that this time of year seems to be a time where people open up more than any other time. I mean, you know, this is when people start to open up and ask good questions about what we're celebrating and why we're celebrating it. And I, I just love that. I mean, I, I have to admit, I am a Christmas person. I love the, I love the season. I love the, the music. I love the ugly sweaters. I, I was going to wear one tonight, but I got voted down. Um, but I, I love this time of year. And, and I got to say, I really have been loving this Christmas series, Chasing the Star, that we've been in for the last few weeks. And I hope that you've loved it as well. Um, but before I get into this message, though, I just want to ask you all kind of a random question. I'm, I'm kind of a random guy, so that makes sense. But um, I just want to ask you a little bit of a question because this question is sort of what the rest of this message is built on in a way. Have you ever missed something just completely and utterly obvious? You ever been there before? Um, I know I have. I've been there in a lot of moments. Like, have you ever had one of those moments where you miss something obvious and you just know that for the next 30 years, whenever your family gets together at Thanksgiving, they're going to tell this story and you're going to be sitting there blushing because you're like, yep, that was me. Um, I've had a lot of stories like that, but um, when I was researching for this message, I came across a story of somebody missing the obvious, and I thought, oh my gosh, this is one of the funniest things I've ever read. Uh, I, was, uh, I was reading a, a, a message that Ravi Zacharias had given to um, a group of students, and it was either at Harvard or Yale, I can't remember which one. By the way, if you don't know Ravi Zacharias, he is a fantastic communicator, fantastic man of God. If you ever want to check him out, he's really great. But he was giving a lecture to some students either at Harvard or Yale, and he told them this short story. And uh, this short story has become one of my favorites of all time. It's, uh, 
It's a story about Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson going on a camping trip, which you just know that's going to be interesting. Uh, but here, here's how the story goes. So Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson are out camping, right? And, you know, they go out into the woods, they light a fire, they roast some marshmallows, they swap British stories. I don't know what they're doing. But they're just hanging out. And uh, finally they decide, you know what, let's just call it a night. Let's get some sleep. Let's get some shut-eye. And so they both go to sleep. But a few hours later, Sherlock wakes up. And he shoves Dr. Watson awake. He's like, Dr. Watson, get up. And, and, and Watson's like, why on earth are you waking me up, man? What, what, what is it? What's going on? And Sherlock says, Dr. Watson, look up at the sky and tell me what you see. I see millions and millions of stars, Dr. Watson replied. What does that tell you, Sherlock asked. Dr. Watson pondered the question for a few minutes and stroked his mustache. That's not a mustache, that's a beard. Why did I do that? Uh, but... Uh, he stroked his mustache and he said, well, Sherlock, what the stars tell me is astronomically, it tells me that there are millions of galaxies out there and potentially billions of planets. Astrologically, I observe that Saturn is in Leo. Horologically, I deduce that the time is approximately a quarter past three. Theologically, I can see that God is all powerful and we are small and insignificant. Meteorologically, I suspect that we will have a beautiful day tomorrow. What does it tell you, Sherlock? Sherlock Holmes paused for a little bit, and then he spoke up and said, Dr. Watson, my dear Watson, what it tells me is that somebody has stolen our tent. <laughs> you ever have a moment like that? I've had a moment like that pretty much every day in my life. Uh, my wife will confirm that. But have you ever had a moment where something was under your very nose and it should have been plain, it should have been in plain sight, but you just happened to miss it and you look back and you're just smacking yourself in the face going, why on earth did I miss that? And here's my point because it's, it's, a, good, it's a good thing to get to a point eventually. My point is this, when I look at the Christmas story, something doesn't add up. Something seems strange. Something just seems completely shocking to me. And that's this, before Jesus came into the world, God gave the people of Israel sign after sign and prophecy after prophecy and miracle after miracle to make it obvious where Jesus was going to be born, when Jesus was going to be born, how Jesus was going to be born. And yet, when the time came, it seems like so few people had any clue what was going on. How odd. That's what doesn't add up to me. Because think about this. The Jewish people, before Jesus came, they had been praying for a Messiah for over a thousand years when Jesus came. Can you believe waiting for something for a thousand years? Some of the men in this room, you say, I have a teenage daughter who was getting ready before this series, or this message. I know what it's like to wait for a thousand years. But seriously, can you imagine what it's like to wait for a thousand years? And the Jewish people waited for that long for a Messiah. But when he came, they missed him. I mean, a lot of the people there did miss him, and they didn't realize that he was there. And, and I mean, ju just, compare that, just compare that for a second to when Prince William and his wife Kate had their baby in England a few years ago. I mean, uh, I mean, if you remember, 
You know, there was hundreds of reporters that were waiting outside the hospital, waiting on every single detail. I mean, they wanted to know everything about this baby. I mean, uh, you know, what's his name going to be? What are the odds that his name's going to be this or that? Is he going to look like William? Is he going to look like Kate? Is he going to look like William and Kate? Like, what's going to happen? What is it going to be like? What's the royal baby's like? Can we get a peek? Can we get a peek? There was cameras everywhere, all kinds of flashing lights. They had to close traffic in part of London when this happened. It was crazy. Over a thousand people gathered outside Buckingham Palace to hear the news about this baby. And that, that was just the tip of the iceberg because there was millions of people who were watching this on TV across the world. 21 gun salutes were given to honor the royal baby in countries all the way from the United Kingdom to New Zealand to, to Australia to Bermuda. Why? Because a royal baby was about to be born and that's kind of a big deal. And yet, when Jesus... God's one and only son, the king of all kings, the Lord of all lords, the prince of peace, the, the most influential figure in the history of the world. Even secular scholars will admit that. The night that he was born, it seemed to go pretty much unnoticed. It really was a silent night. There was a few who did notice, but there was many who did not. And for, for me, that just doesn't make sense because, I mean, when Jesus was born, the leaders of Israel, the people who were in charge and all the people who lived there, they had, the whole, they had access to the Old Testament. They had access to the book of Micah where it says that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. They had access to the book of Daniel where it gives a timetable for the coming of the Messiah that was extremely accurate, by the way. The wise men were following that. They had access to the book of Numbers where it prophesies about the star 1,400 years before the star appeared. They had access to all that knowledge, and yet so many missed it. And just in case they happened to miss that, according to the book of Matthew, the, this, there was this giant star that was so bright it was hard to see all the other stars, and it was so big, and, and anybody could see it, and, and God allowed that star to be right above the place of the birth. And just in case they happened to miss that, just, there was a choir of angels that night singing in the sky, glory to God in highest heaven and peace on earth, goodwill toward men. How do you miss that? I mean, the only thing God could have done to make it more obvious would be to make a giant neon arrow pointing to the stable with the words newborn king here on it. I mean, can you imagine? How did anybody miss that? Why, where were the crowds? Where were the reporters? Where were the cameras? I mean, come on. But here's the thing. As I got ready for this message, I realized something. I realized this. The same reason why so many people, the same reasons why so many people back then missed out on the birth of Christ is the same reason why so many people miss out on Jesus today in 2016. And this Christmas, I don't want that to happen. I don't want anybody to miss out on Jesus this Christmas season. I don't want anybody to go through Christmas not knowing the person that Christmas is all about. I don't want anybody to miss Christmas. And so I just want to walk all of us through the reasons why so many people were unaware of Jesus' birth and what that has to do, or what that has to do with us in 2016. But in order for me to do that, though, I need to take you to the book of Matthew chapter Two. And, and if, you're, if you've been with us for this series, Matthew chapter 2 is a really important chapter for this series. The reason why is that is the chapter where we learn everything that we know about the wise men. If you want to know about the wise men, Matthew 2 is your chapter, okay? So I'm going to take us to Matthew 2. 
And I want us to dive in because Matthew 2 lets us know a great deal about why Jesus' birth was so unnoticed. Check this out. It says this. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of, of the King Herod, Magi, which that's just another word for the wise man, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king? They're not saying, where is the one who might become king in the future? Or where is the one who is sort of what we're looking for, but not really? They said, no, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. Let's just take a time out for a second. These guys sound like they have a one-track mind. You know what I'm saying? Like, as soon as they walk into Jerusalem, first question they ask people, where is the newborn king? There's so many other questions that they could have asked people when they got to Jerusalem. I mean, you know, they could have asked, you know what, where are the people in charge so that we can talk to them? Or they could have said uh, what I would have said, which is, uh, where is a place for us to kick back and relax because we just traveled a thousand miles and we are exhausted, okay? You know? Or they could have asked the number one question that any man wants to know at the end of a long journey, which is, where is the food? You know what I'm saying? Like, they could have gone around asking that, hey, where is the food? But no, the number one question they ask people, where is the king? Where is the newborn king? And, and you, know, you want to know why they went around asking this to everybody? Because they were excited, man. They were pumped. They had been waiting for this moment for so many years. They, 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 I mean, they had been preparing for this moment. They bought some really expensive gifts that have a no return policy for this moment. They had been traveling thousands of miles. When they got to Jerusalem, they had one thing on their mind. They were excited. And here's what I want to say. When they got to Jerusalem, no doubt they thought that everybody else there would be just as excited as they are because they came believing that Israel was about to have a new king. And just like I was talking about earlier, when a country's expecting a newborn king, most of the time they go crazy. I mean, they have a party. I mean, they're celebrating. They're like lighting off fireworks and going crazy. And that's probably what the wise men were expecting. I wouldn't be surprised if right before they got into Jerusalem, they were talking amongst themselves and they were like, okay, all right, so here's the deal. When we get there, we're going to go around and we're going to ask people, where is the newborn king? Because, I mean, everybody's going to be talking about this. I mean, this is big news. It's going to be all over Jerusalem social media. There's going to be banners everywhere. There's going to be people dancing in the street. I mean, when we get there, they'll let us know where to go because they're, you know, they're pumped just like we are. But when they got to Jerusalem... That was not what they found. Let's read, let's go, let's go back to Matthew chapter two, verses three and four real quick. It says this, it says, when King Herod, this is the ruler of the Jews at the time, we're gonna talk more about him later. When King Herod heard this, when he heard that the wise men were going around asking questions, he was disturbed, not excited, not pumped, not you know, jumping for joy. He was disturbed in all Jerusalem with him. That's the part that shocks me. Jerusalem wasn't excited. They were disturbed. And check this out. It says that Herod called together all the people's chief priests and the teachers of the law. And Herod asked them where the Messiah was to be born. Here's what's significant about what we just read. When the wise men went around asking where the newborn king of the Jews was, they did not get the reaction they expected. The only reaction they got from people was shock and surprise. I mean, people didn't know what to do when they, they asked them this question. They're like, we don't know where the newborn king was. We didn't even know we're supposed to have a king. And, and just so that way, and, and here's the thing, if you're wondering why people were confused, all you have to do is look at the end of the verse that we just read. 
It's said that Herod, the king of the Jews, he had to get all the religious scholars together at the palace and say, hey, what on earth are these wise men talking about? What king? I haven't heard about a king. Have you heard about a king? What, 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 what is this? And so Herod evidently was clueless. And it says that all the people in Jerusalem were disturbed too. So that means that the people there were just as clueless as Herod was. How sad. It's just, it just seems really, really odd to me. And here's the thing. All the signs were there. All the signs were in place for Jesus to come into the world, but it seems like only a few people were looking for them. Here's the thing, guys, and this really has a lot to do with where we're at today. The signs were there for everybody to see, but only a few were really looking. Only a few were really seeking them out. And, 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 and here's the thing. What made the wise men different is they were looking for God when so many others were not. New Spring Church, I'm going to be really honest with you. God has made it easy for anybody in the world to find him. This whole series has been about the star that God put in the heavens to, to signify that Jesus was coming. God put that star in the heavens for everybody to see, but only a few looked for it. Only a few understood its significance. And here's the thing. God has made it easy for anybody in the world to find him and have a relationship with him. But there's three things that can make it hard for somebody to find God. And the first one is this. It's hard to find God when you're not looking for him. Like I just said, what made the wise men different is they were looking. And maybe you think I'm stating the obvious. I mean, this is a pretty obvious statement. But honestly, it doesn't make it any less true, does it not? That it's hard to find God when you're not looking for him. You know, one thing I know is that everybody in our world is looking for something. What are you looking for? Are you looking for, maybe you'd say, I'm looking for success. Or maybe... You're looking for a career. Maybe you're looking for a new start. Or maybe this week you'd say, Stephen, it's just something really simple. I'm, I'm looking for the perfect gift. Or I'm looking for a really good deal so I can buy the perfect gift. Or maybe you'd say, man, Stephen, just to be honest, man, what I'm looking for this Christmas is a date. Like, that's the main thing on my agenda. Like, where's the singles ministry? Like, hook me up, man, you know? Um, you know, everybody's looking for something. And here's the thing. If you're looking for something, I know two things about you. Number one, I know that you want it bad. But number two, I know that there's more to it than just the fact that you want it because you've decided that you're going to do what you got to do to find it. And here's what makes me sad. I have rarely met a person in my entire life who doesn't want what God has to offer. I mean, I have rarely met a person in my whole life who doesn't really want what God can give. I've rarely met a person who says, you know what, Stephen, I don't want my life to get better. Like all the things that are crazy in my life that are driving me nuts, I want them to stay the same. I don't hear that very often. I, I, don't, I don't hear from people very often to say, you know what, Stephen, I don't want to know what it's like to be forgiven of everything I've done wrong and have an unconditional love from God. I, I don't know many people who would say, you know what, I don't want that. And I'll tell you what, I have, I have never met a person who tells me, you know what, Stephen, I, I just don't really want to know where I'm going when I die. You know what, I like surprises. Surprise me. No. I mean, 99% of the people I've met in my life want all of those things, and they want them a lot. The problem is they've never gone from wanting to seeking, and never gone from wanting to looking. And the people in Israel were just like this. Because you see, they wanted a Messiah to come. They wanted a Savior more than anything. But the problem was they never went from that stage of wanting to looking. Why was that? Why were they not looking? Why were they not looking for their king when their king had arrived? 
And I think the reason why that they weren't looking is, is the same reason why many people today are not looking as well. Here's the thing. Their expectations limited their ability to see. Their expectations limited their ability to see. Let me, let, you, let, me, let me tell you what I mean by that. If you go back into the Old Testament and you read the prophecies about Jesus, over and over again, Jesus is presented as a king, as a ruler, a great leader, and a powerful leader at that. And Jesus was all of those things. The hard part for the people in Israel was that Jesus didn't have the appearance of those things. Because you see, when the Jewish people, when they read those prophecies about Jesus being a powerful king, man, they were expecting someone who was born in a position of power. I mean, they were expecting someone who was born in a palace, not born in a manger. I mean, they were expecting somebody who was born in a powerful, wealthy family, not born to a couple peasants. I mean, you know, if, and here's the thing, even though the prophets said that this would happen in Bethlehem, I'm sure a lot of people thought that was crazy because Bethlehem was a small town. It was not the place where the powerful people hung out. It was just a small, quiet village. I'm sure a lot of people were skeptical about that. And here's the thing, the idea that the savior that Israel had been waiting for for a thousand years would be born to a peasant couple in a barn hadn't even crossed a lot of people's minds. And maybe, maybe that's to be expected, but a lot of people just thought, you know what, we're expecting a king, and a king is not born in a manger. <laughs> and no. But, but that, because of that, they missed it. And here's the thing. God planned this the way it happened. If you go back to Isaiah 53, it says this. This is talking about Jesus. Hundreds of years before he's born, it says, my servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot, like a root in dry ground. Here's where we really need to, where we really need to check in. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance. It doesn't say there was nothing beautiful or majestic about him. It just said there was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. Basically, what the prophet Isaiah is saying is when this Messiah comes, he will be a king, a king that reigns forever. He is a leader. He is a powerful leader, but he's not going to look like a king, and he's not going to be what people expect. And in the book of John, it sums this up great. It says, he came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. Interesting. In other words, God was saying, this king, this Messiah that I'm sending into the world, he's going to be different from what people expect. <sighs> let, me, let me tell you something. I, I've got friends in my life that are just wonderful people, very smart people, people that are way smarter than I am. And they've communicated this message to me. And the message goes like this. Stephen, I would love to look for God, but I've got a certain set of expectations for the way God should be. And if God checks off the boxes on my list, and if he meets my expectations, then maybe I'll look for him. I've got friends that are, probably would be on the religious side. And so they say, you know what, Stephen? I expect a God that is a God of rituals and a God of tradition. And if I finish all these rituals and if I do every, all the traditions right, then, he, then, then that's when I'm right with God. And in the Bible where it says that you can be saved through faith and faith alone, you know what? That just seems too easy. It's too easy. 
And I've got friends that are on the opposite side of that spectrum, and they would be on the secular side, and they're like, you know what, Stephen? Uh, I have an expectation that God is sort of a God who is not so much about morality and right and wrong as he is, just, as he is about just sort of coming alongside of me. And whatever I sort of want to do in life, he's just sort of okay with it and just kind of like makes me feel better about myself. But, if I, but the God of the Bible, he doesn't meet that. So you know what? I'm just going to put him on the side. Guys, here's the thing. If God is so much bigger than our expectations, you can't put God in a box like that. You see, the, some people try to put God in the, religious, in the religion box, and some people try to put him in the secularism box. And let me tell you something, neither box can contain him, and neither box describes him because God is so much bigger, and he's so much greater than any expectation of anybody. I, I just, you know, one of my favorite quotes is from Rick Warren. He's one of my favorite pastors of all time. He said this, if God was small enough for you to completely understand him, he wouldn't be big enough for you to completely trust him. Can we all hear that today? Because we live in a world that tries to put God in a box of expectations. And if he doesn't cross off the boxes and if he doesn't, if he doesn't approve of, of, of what our culture is doing, if he doesn't approve of religion, then we're just gonna put him off to the side. Let me tell you something. God has a history of doing the unexpected and doing what he wants to do, not what we want him to do. And God, and here's the thing, even though so many people expected Jesus to be a certain way when he was born, God had the genius of putting the greatest king ever in a manger. I just think that's, that's amazing. It just shows you how different God is from what we expect. And here's the thing, if you're, if you're sitting there right now and you're saying, Stephen, you know what? I sort of have been putting God on the back burner because I've got a certain set of expectations and I feel like I've been pushing him aside. Look, please, just give him a chance. You know, the reason why the wise men found God is they were looking for God on God's terms, not on their terms. We live in a culture that tries to say, you know what, it's fine to search for God, but you got to do it on your terms. Look, that's not how you search for God. Here's the thing. It's hard to find God if you're not looking, but it's easy to find God if you honestly seek him out. And I use the word honestly because that means searching without preconditions, it means searching for God for who he is, not who you expect him to be. So that's, that's the first, first major point of this message. But here's the second major point. It's hard to find God when you're trying to take his place. It's hard to find God when you're trying to take his place. Uh, there is a character in this drama that we need to talk about for just a second in the book of Matthew chapter two. And he is a character that plays a very important role for better or for worse, but mostly for worse. Um, his name is Herod. And for all of you ancient history lovers out there, you would know that the Roman Empire at this point in history had conquered most of the known world. They were large and in charge and they had the power. Okay, so Rome had conquered most of the world. And here's what Rome did. When Rome conquered a country, they made a habit of appointing someone to rule that country who was sort of a native of that society, somebody who understood the culture. And Rome decided to appoint a man named Herod to lead Israel. And here's what you need to know about Herod. He wasn't exactly the best leader in the world. Rome appointed him because he was a drinking buddy of the Caesars. He was somebody who was an insider. That's why they appointed him. And, you, and one thing you need to know is Herod, Herod had a pride issue. Herod called himself Herod the Great. But really what he should have been called is Herod the Power Hungry and Herod the Paranoid. <laughs> That's who he was. I'm not promoting this show, but if you want to get a picture of what Herod was like, just 
think Frank Underwood from House of Cards except 2,000 years ago. That's what Herod was like. Herod's main goal in life was to get as much power as possible and then hold on to it. And if anybody tried to challenge him on that power, he took him out. The problem is that led to some very serious mental instability. And Herod even, Herod was so afraid that somebody was going to take his throne. He had his wife and his oldest son murdered because he was scared they were going to take his throne. That's the kind of person Herod was. And so when the wise men arrive in Jerusalem saying, hey, where is the newborn king of the Jews? Herod is like, what do you mean newborn king? I am the king of the Jews. What are you trying to say, a newborn king? Like, that's, that's ridiculous. I am the king. And the problem was because of that, Herod saw Jesus as a threat. He didn't see Jesus as a blessing. He saw him as a threat. And, and that's the reason why Herod met with the wise men. In Matthew 2, it says this in 7 and 8. It says, then Herod called the Magi, the wise men, secretly, and he found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem, and he said this, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. Obviously, that was a lie, and God knew it was a lie. And after the wise men visited Jesus, God even told the wise men, don't go back to Herod. Don't go back and report to him because Herod had bad intentions. Again, he was afraid Jesus was trying to take his power. And for those of you who know the story, you will know that Joseph and Mary, they had to flee to Egypt because Herod was so scared that a baby king would take his throne that he ordered that all children in Bethlehem who were male, two years and younger, be killed. He ordered that to happen because he was scared. That's pretty dark stuff. And, and, and I know for a fact that this is kind of hard. It's kind of hard to make Herod's story relate to us because, I mean, nobody in this room is making the kind of choices that Herod made. But here's the part that scares me, and that's this. Sometimes in my life, I feel like I've adopted the philosophy that Herod believed in, which is the idea that I'm the one in charge of my life. And if God comes along and tries to take any of that power from me, I'm going to see it as a threat. New Spring, please hear me when I say this. One of the most dangerous places in life you can be in is when you think that God is trying to take something from you. And you're convinced of it. And so you pull away from him because you think God is your enemy. That is the most dangerous place in life you can be. Because at that point, you're going to try to take God's place in your life because you don't trust him. You know, there's a lot of reasons why I know that my wife loves me, but probably in the top five is the fact that she will actually sit through the extended version of Lord of the Rings with me. Um, that is the definition of true love, ladies and gentlemen, okay? Um, but this last week, I was, I was sick. I had bronchitis, and um, I, I don't still have bronchitis, so for those of you in the front row, it's okay, okay? Um, but I was sick, and um, my wife and I watched the Lord of the Rings movies because that's my way of getting better, I guess. I don't know. Uh, but we were watching it, and um, we saw this. I was watching it, and I saw this scene from the first Lord of the Rings movie, and I, I forgot all about it, and I thought, man, this, this just totally describes Herod's problem. And it describes a lot of our problems sometimes. Um, for those of you who are not geeks like me, the Lord of the Rings works this way. Let me give you a little bit of background. Uh, Lord of the Rings, it all revolves around a ring, duh. Um, but this, in the story, this ring, it's made by the evil bad guy in the story, the bad guy of all bad guys. He makes this ring, and this ring is dangerous, right? Because anybody who holds on to this ring 
it starts to bring out the worst in that person and it turns them into the kind of person that they do not want to become. For all of you Lord of the Rings fans, does Gollum ring a bell? You know what I'm saying? Anyone who has this ring long enough, it will turn them into a monster. And so early on in the movie, one of the good guys, Bilbo Baggins, man, what a name. Anyway, Bilbo Baggins, one of the good guys, it, you find out early on that he has gotten the ring. And and it seems as if this ring is starting to change him. It's starting to take him down an unhealthy road. And one of Bilbo's friends, who is sort of the main good guy in the story, he comes to Bilbo and tries to do an intervention. He's like, man, you seriously need to let this thing go, okay? Because this thing is changing you. It's messing you up. You're going down the wrong path. You need to let it go. And just like when God comes to us sometimes and tries to get us to let go of our pride, when Bilbo hears that, he lashes out. He's like, you're trying to take this from me. You're trying to rob me. And this is why I tell the story, because I love this. When Bilbo lashes out at Gandalf, he says this. He says, Bilbo, don't mistake me for someone who's trying to cheat you. I'm not trying to rob you. I'm trying to help you. Let it go. Let it go. See, here's the thing. Herod was convinced that God was trying to take something from him. God was trying to keep something back from him. And so that's why he had his fist clenched around everything. And he was prideful. And he's like, you know what? This baby Jesus, he's trying to take something from me. And so I'm going to treat God like the enemy. Do you, do, does that ring a bell for anybody here? Have you ever been in that position? Do you know somebody who's in that position? It's like, you know what? I, I, I'm just going to hold on to everything. And I'm not going to let God in because I think he's trying to take something from me. But here's what Herod didn't understand. What Herod didn't understand was that God didn't send his son into the world to take anything from anyone. He sent his son into the world to help us, to help us let go of that rotten thing called sin that when you hold on to it long enough, it brings out the worst in you and turns you into the kind of person that you don't want to become. And God comes to you when, and Jesus comes to you and says, hey, you know what? This is changing you. This is turning you into a monster. Let it go. Let it go. I'm not trying to rob you. I'm trying to help you. I'll tell you this. Somebody here, you might be holding on to an affair right now. And to you, you're saying, you know what? You know deep inside that this is tearing apart your family. You know it's tearing apart your future. You know this is going to have an effect for years to come, but you're holding on to it because you think that God is trying to take something from you. And whenever God tries to come to you to convict you, you're treating him like he's the enemy. And God comes to you and saying, look, I'm not your enemy. I'm trying to help you. I'm not trying to take from you. I'm trying to get you to let go of the sin in your life that's destroying you. I'm trying to save you. Somebody here is holding on to an addiction and you know that it's got more control over you than you have over it. And sometimes late at night, you know that God is coming to you to try to convict your heart about it, to say, look, you need to let this go. But just like Herod, you think to yourself, this is my life. This is my choice. This is my decision. And far be it from God to come here and try to tell me how to live my life. And, and, but here's the thing. God isn't trying to take anything from you. He's trying to help you. He's trying to save you, maybe save you from yourself. Can you hear the voice of God tonight saying, look, I'm trying to help you. I'm not your enemy, I'm your friend. And Herod's problem was that he constantly thought that God was his enemy and trying to take something from him. And because of that, Herod's story is one of the saddest stories. His life ended in complete disarray. But here's what's interesting. Look at this. In, 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 in John 10, 10, it says this. 
This is Jesus speaking. He says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. What Jesus is saying is, look, if you want to know who wants to take from you, it's Satan. He wants, to take, he, he wants to take your future. He wants to take your kids. He wants to take your life. He wants to take your destiny. If you want to know who's a taker, that's Satan. But check this out. Jesus says, I have come, though, that they may have life and have it to the full. Jesus came into our world to give to give to you, to give you a better life, to give you a changed life. Will you let him in? Here's the thing. It's hard to find God if you try to take his place in your life, but it's easy to find God if you're willing to let him help you. I know fantastic people in my life who are going through a season of rebellion and stubbornness, and they're wonderful people, but they're starting to go down a very wrong path, and their life would turn, their life would completely change overnight, if they would just let God in, if they would just let him in for just a second. Well, there's one last category of people who missed the star that I I haven't yet talked about. Because you see, there were some people when Jesus was born who, when they, 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 they were definitely looking for God and they certainly didn't have a pride issue. They just missed out because they were busy. If you notice, early on in, in, Luke, in Luke chapter 2 in the Christmas story, it says that Jesus came at a busy time because it says that the Roman emperor at the time decreed a census, which means that the Rome had said that all across the empire that people returned to the home where their family lived. That's the reason why Mary and Joseph had to go to Bethlehem. It was a busy time. There was a lot of people on the road and they were all acting crazy. I guess nothing changes in 2,000 years. You know what I'm saying? And so it was a busy time. And here's what's extremely important. It was so busy that when Mary and Joseph, when they got to Bethlehem, there was no room, there was no room available for them. Even though, they, even though the king of all kings was going to be born, there was no room for him to be born in a room because it's just it's busy. No room available. I'm going to be honest. I know some absolutely fantastic people who don't know God yet. And and when I look at their situation, they don't seem to be prideful people to me like Herod. And and it seems to me like they really are looking for answers. But but with some people that I know, they still have not reached out to God yet because they're so busy and they're so busy going after the things of this world that there's no room available in their heart yet for Jesus. And it breaks my heart because some of these people are just fantastic. They're people that are so cool that I wish I was like them. Really, I do. The problem is there's just no room available because there's so much busyness and there's so much noise and there's so much going on that it's just, it's crowding out God. Do you know someone like that? They're just fantastic. They just got a lot going on. You know, it kind of reminds me of this story. Back in January 1994, uh, that was, I was born in 1994, but uh, there was an earthquake that hit Los Angeles and it shook the whole place so much that it caused $20 billion in damage, which is a lot. And it knocked out all, most of the lights in Los Angeles, which is really weird if you live there because most of the time it's so bright at night, it looks like the daytime, but the earthquake knocked out the power. So a lot of people were without lights. And what I find really interesting is that the night after this happened, there's an observatory right outside LA and they started getting these calls from people who were complaining about something. They were complaining that there was this really odd looking sort of silver cloud in the sky and they were wondering if there was some kind of like, if there there was like a fire nearby or if it had something to do with the earthquake. And they're trying to figure out what on earth is this weird looking cloud and people were panicking. And the observatory got a pretty good laugh out of that. 
Because after a while, they put two and two together and they realized that the weird cloud that people were reporting was the Milky Way. (laughs) What happened was, because there was so much light pollution in the city that a lot of the people who lived in that area had forgotten what it was like to see the Milky Way with their own, own eyes. They had been so accustomed to seeing man-made light that they had never gotten to see God's light. And here's the thing. When I think about people where they're so busy in life that that's crowded out God in their life and they haven't yet had an experience with God because their busyness has crowded out God, I think about that story because there's, here's the thing. If you live life and there's so much pollution and there's so much noise and there's so many things that are, that are trying to compete for your attention, it's like God is up there, but he's crowded out and it's hard to see him. You know what I'm saying? And here's the thing. This Christmas season, if you would say, Stephen, you know what? I'm in that boat. I, I really want to find God in my life, but I feel like I've put him on the back burner because I've got so many other things going on and I've had so many pursuits in my life that I haven't even sat down and thought about it. Here's the thing. I'm challenging you to reduce the noise in your life and to just sit and think about the fact that God loves you and that your entire life that he's been pursuing you and he cares about you. And even though you might have been a very busy person for your life and there's so many things going on in your life, I just want you to sit and think about the fact that God has been there the whole time. You just might not have been able to see him. And he loves you so much. Here's the thing. It's hard to find God when you're busy. Really. It's hard to find God when you're busy. But it's easy to find God when you make room. Where the, 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 the no room available sign that's on the heart of many people today, if you take that sign off and say, you know what, I'm going to make room for God in my life. I'm going to make him a priority. I think a lot of Christians could use that message too because a lot of us, you know, we've accepted Christ, but so many things in our life have become more important to us. And it's about time we took off the no room available sign and say, you know what, there is room available in this heart. There is room available in my life. There is room available in my marriage. There is room available in my relationship with my kids for God because there better be room. There needs to be room. You know what I'm saying? And so here's the thing. I just, I just want to talk to you all because here's the thing. Maybe When I've been speaking, you would say, I find myself somewhere in your message. Maybe you find yourself in the place of the people who weren't looking for God, the people who just had expectations and they didn't realize that God was different from what they expected. Or maybe you'd say, Stephen, I I kind of identify with Herod because my pride has done a number on me. I've made some prideful choices and that's affected my life. Or maybe you'd say, Stephen, I'm, I'm in that third category. I'm, I've just been so busy in my life, I haven't taken time to let God in. If you're in any of those categories, let me tell you something. Here's the thing, whatever category you're in, I want you to know that God loves you and he loves you so much that the story of Christmas is the story of an invitation for you to find God. Maybe you haven't found God yet, but God wants to be found by you. He, God wants you to find him. I'm going to finish with this text. In Luke chapter 2, it says this. The angels are announcing the birth of Jesus. It says, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born. Look at the last two words. To you. Here's the thing. God, if you're saying, you know what? I have not found God yet in my life. God has a message to you today. And the message is that he loves you and he cares about you and he wants to have a relationship with you. And here's the thing, the greatest gift that you could ever get for Christmas is to have Jesus in your life. No matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, maybe you'd say, you know what, I don't think God will want to be in my life. Let me tell you something, God loves you no matter where you are. 
And he wants to come into your heart. And, and here's the thing. I just want to extend an invitation to you. If you're sitting there and you're saying, you know what, that's me. I want to have God in my life. I just, I just want to ask everybody to pray real quick. And just, just bow your head and close your eyes. And with nobody looking around, if you're sitting there and you're saying, Stephen, that's me. I want to have a relationship with God. I want to find God in my life. If that's you, I want to pray a prayer with you real quick. These, these aren't magic words. These are just calling out to God saying, yes, I do, you want, I do want you in my life. And you can repeat these silently or you can repeat these out loud, whatever you wish. So let, just, just pray with me real quick. Heavenly Father, I know that I've done wrong things. I know that I've messed up. But I believe that you sent your son Jesus into the world to pay for what I've done wrong. I believe that he died on the cross and rose from the grave. And I accept his payment for what I've done wrong. Please come into my life and change me from the inside out. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thank you all so much for, uh, for joining us for this message. And, and if you just prayed that prayer, I just want you to do something real quick. You can fill out on the talk to us card. You can just check the box that said that you accepted Christ. And if you go way back there to guest services, they will give you a bag that looks like this. It's got an awesome study Bible in it and a booklet that my dad wrote that might answer some of your questions. So thank you so much for joining us. You were dismissed. <laughs>